This episode may feel like we're treading on old ground here on the Big Spot. We've talked at length about Shakespeare's biography and how little of it is known. We've talked about Shakespeare on film, the way the plays are reimagined at different times and for different purposes. We've even talked at length about trying to avoid recreating the author from the works, and vice versa, a practice that's all too common in the Shakespeare industry. And yes, we've talked about the Shakespeare industry too. Today's topic, Shakespeare in fiction, though actually it's probably more like Shakespeare in popular film and television, brings all these topics together under one interesting roof. How is Shakespeare, the man bereft of biographical details, portrayed on TV and on the silver screen? It turns out you can't answer that question without wading into that biography, through those film tropes, and straight into our interpretations of the plays themselves. Because the answer to that question, how is Shakespeare shown on screen, becomes clear after just a few quick glances. He is a blank canvas. Part historical figure, part literary icon, part everyman, and even, if your interpretation so allows, part fraud. Shakespeare is at once the guy you can have an ale with at the local pub, and the ornery literary genius whose unrequited love for another man dooms him to eternal loneliness. He is caught up in the mundane drudgery of Elizabethan England and swept up in the same dramatic forces that shape his plays. Shakespeare, the character, like any good fanfiction writer knows, is not actually set in stone, but a force to play with in the larger story being told. Today, we're talking about some of our favorite and not-so-favorite representations of the bard on the screen. What does his continued reimagining tell us about our understanding of the plays, of genius, quote-unquote, and of our innate desire to read between the lines of history? We hope you'll join us to find out on this episode of The Bix Do Shakespeare. Since brevity is the soul of wit, more of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar. An hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertainment. And beat me when I should infect my hand! The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix. Indeed we are. And today we are, as Aiden very eloquently put it, discussing the fictional Shakespeare, mm-hmm. specifically Shakespeare as seen on film and television, because that's primarily the, the the breadth of this episode would have been too large to yeah. really cover everything, which was our hope when we first sat down to hammer out this episode. But as we dug in a little bit, we realized he's in everything. He's been represented yes. in so many different uh, mediums and in different ways that it would literally take up. We could devote an episode to each of them almost. Uh, so we were focusing on the ones that we are most familiar with, yes. probably you as as, uh, listeners are most familiar and, with, and as modern pop culture consumers, yeah, we're all probably most familiar yes. with. Yeah, and uh, but but we are going to situate this, I, I think, in a bit of a historical context um, and talk a little bit about the earliest representations of Shakespeare in fiction, as well as some of the more common tropes that seem to appear in in those fictional representations of Shakespeare across uh, the last four hundred and some odd years. Yes. Um, so let's start with that history. Lens. Yeah, sure. Might as well dive in. So you, you've you done some some reading, some light reading on the side, as one does. Uh, and looking up, you know, when was Shakespeare first kind of inserted into that fictional realm? And it wasn't so much as, as a character in a story, per se, but it kind of... Uh, 
an observer, perhaps, of, yeah. of other people's writings. Right. So a library assistant by the name of Bettina Harris, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, at the Shakespeare Institute Library published a blog post that I found really interesting. We'll link it in our uh, episode description, um, in which she talks a little bit about that um kind of that through that thread through history of of how Shakespeare appears um, in fictional form and as early as the 1600s uh, he appears on stage and in in plays and in writings as a ghost figure who appears to comment on the goings-on of um, the play that he's watching or the the discussion that's happening or the writing that's going on and um and it's really at that time, I think the earliest mention that in her in her research, which I'm trusting because she's a library assistant, um, was about 1679 in John Dryden's adaptation of Troilus and Cressida, in mm. which um, Shakespeare berates the current degenerate state of the theater, her words, um, which is which is kind of funny because I had really thought that Shakespeare as a um, uh, the 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 grandfather of English lit that didn't happen until later in the in the 18th century. But here we have it like very soon after mm-hmm. the English Civil War and the restoration of the theaters that and the restoration of the monarchy mm-hmm. that you have um, you know a, a play in which Shakespeare is asking where are the successors to my name you know and and that it's only. 60, 50 years years after his death, death, right? So that that kind of surprised me. But it's interesting that um, he's not so much a character as he is. um, He's almost like a moral or moralizing figure, it seems, in these plays, in in these references, where he... Um, he stands up to talk about and compare what's going on to what he would have done. And I think that is how... That, that's a pretty common thing throughout the, the early part, I would say up until, you know, into the 1800s when people have written about Shakespeare in their plays or in their writings. It's, it's almost like the writer himself or herself is trying to measure up. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, makes a lot of sense because yeah. if Shakespeare is the the grand poobah uh you're gonna want to you're gonna compare we we do it ourselves we've talked about this before on on the podcast about how you kind of measure yourself against other writers you admire and if you admire shakespeare you're going to measure yourself against him it makes sense Mm -hmm. um so that kind of takes you into uh the victorian age and and into the early 1900s when um you get some more uh humorous takes and i Mm -hmm. think some more uh, you know the distance between Shakespeare as a as a real person is so great, and the works have become so mythologized. Um, but also the biographical scholarship has not fleshed out the man, which would have impacted the way he, as a fictional character, would have been portrayed. Yeah, I think if we knew more about him, we wouldn't fictionalize him as much as we do, like you said in your opening yeah, essay, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the distance there is enough that we can st- we start seeing like people playing poking fun at it, and there's a, a, a quite a comical um, a comical poem that was written around 1920. Uh, I dreamt last night that Shakespeare's ghost sat for a civil service post. The English paper for the year had several questions on King Lear, which Shakespeare answered very badly. <laughs> um, kind of like you know poking fun at the way, maybe more at the way the society again yes, has, has mythologized yes. him and, and and the works yeah. and the works yeah. themselves yeah. so that 
I think the the latest trend in in Shakespearean fictional fictional Shakespearean fictional Shakespeare fictionalizing fictionalization of Shakespeare yes that latest trend is is really the anti Stratfordian um, uh, crusade I guess and trying to paint Shakespeare as somewhat less than the great man that um, he's been bardolatized as yeah so it's uh, it, it. Broadly speaking, those are the big, I think, the big uh, umbrellas under which the fictional Shakespeare lives yeah. um, through through the last 400 or so years. And again, we're going to be speaking mostly about um, more recent things. I think the earliest we're going to go back is like the Shakespeare 80s? in Love. No, oh, no, uh, I guess Black there was Adder. some Blackadder, yeah, And that's Doctor right. Who as well. Although we had, we've only seen the uh, 10th Doctor Shakespeare episode. He didn't make appearances in two earlier pre-reboot uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, versions, of, iterations of the Doctor. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But generally, yeah, we're not really going too much further back than the 90s. Um, because, it's, again, the 90s were high Shakespeare time. Yeah, uh, well, as we talked about, that's, yeah. that's going to be a whole other episode, right? We're <laughs> yeah. still planning on doing yeah. that? Okay, I good. So. But, yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, Lindsay, uh, also, you know, the, the authorship question has become a very pertinent one in our, in our kind of uh, conspiracy theory-driven <laughs> cultures. Yes. Um, it's it's something that d- draws a lot of interest, and there's there's some interesting dynamics there to talk about as well. So sure. uh, there was the Roland Emmerich movie that we'll, we'll get to soon enough. Yes. Um, and just jumping back for a quick second to a point you'd made, uh, well, at the start, when you started discussing uh, how people were using Shakespeare in the early days, mm. um, they, they used him as a poet he, because that's all that was known about him. There was no such thing as biography you know right. this was this was a this is a fairly modern construction to try and dive back and grab those biographical details and tell a story about them mm-hmm. or tell a story from them and create uh, a picture of the holistic human being yeah early on he was just shakespeare he knew you knew him by the bust on the folio yeah and that was it that and johnson's poem there was no more needed or known or uh, required for any of these people to use Shakespeare in a in a fictional context yeah. um, whereas now we obviously we require certain like biopics require to be we hope at least that they're very well researched, researched. and documented <laughs> and so forth right so uh, you have these competing or this this shifting idea of what uh, what is acceptable when displaying a character and uh, that that idea came to us from uh, YouTube channel Browse Held High yes uh, what's the guy's name again Kyle Calgren yes Calgren uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right as well <laughs> he did a bunch of series on uh, all the Shakespeare uh, films and very very well done and yeah. funny and yeah. worth the watch so yes. we'll link to him I think definitely as well. but, uh, um, but yeah he made that point when talking about that Emmerich film uh, just saying that you know this was not a thing that existed uh, that we ex- the way we expect it today and I think it's interesting that um, because there's no biography, for the reasons that Aiden uh, just mentioned, um, because there's nothing for us to glue anything onto, we can glue anything onto it. Yeah. And so you do get a wide range of types of Shakespeare's. Um, Shakespeare's. You can have a gay Shakespeare. You can have a straight Shakespeare. You can have a, fe- a female Shakespeare. You can have a transgender Shakespeare. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. You can find any reason. And that I think when you're building off of the plays, certain elements from the plays become mythologized as biographical details, yes. and that's how we get Hamlet and Hamnet mixing together. And 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 that has to make sense somehow. Yeah. Um, 
having said that, it's not like there's carte blanche to do whatever you want. It seems like there are certain very rigid tropes that Shakespeare, fictional Shakespeare seems to fit into. Um, For example, there's, uh, there's usually some mention of, um, of Shakespeare's relationship with, uh, with Jews, with Jewish people. Yeah. Um, because there has to be because of the way he portrays Shylock in the merchant of Venice. And so, um, him as a, as an open-minded kind of, liberal yeah, guy humanist type, right yeah fits very well because of the plays that he wrote or um that the dark lady had to have been certain you know like they try people try to make those things match that there was rivalry a playful rivalry between shakespeare and marlowe yes it's right? almost in every one it, it yeah. has to be yeah. right or that his marriage was somehow Yes, unhappy. Yes, because of the second best bed line. Or the fact that he didn't spend much time in Stratford-upon-Avon with his wife and children. Um, So, I mean, those things kind of, uh, they find a way into a lot of the different, uh, I don't want to call them biopics. They're not biopics, but 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 they do find into the fictional depictions. Exactly. Um, Especially when you think of like the grander uh, stories, like we're going to talk about all this true which came out last year, two years ago? Yeah. A couple years ago, anyway. Two years ago, I think. Uh, the Kenneth Branagh one. Um, Shakespeare in Love is also, I say guilty of it, but <laughs> it's not really anything to be guilty of. Yeah. Uh, but taking elements from the plays or elements that we do know and really trying to graft that onto Shakespeare's life um, has somehow, in some way, led to people believing like, I'm going to admit something to you, Aiden, right now. When I first watched Shakespeare in Love as, like, 14-year-old Lindsay, I thought, oh, okay, so that's why he wrote Viola in Twelfth Night. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I right, really yeah. didn't understand that this was non-biographical information. Yeah. <laughs> I was not the smartest young girl. Well, I no, it's, it's, I mean, when you're a teenager, it, you'll, you'll believe sure. it. But, uh, but also that's, I mean, that's a sign of a job well done. The fact that it, again, that the, the story being told does fit well enough that you could say yeah maybe something like that did inspire well, him maybe something inspired him and and this is just as plausible as any other exactly story. and it's i not, think but. i think what no and but but it does seem to when you have no evidence of anything yeah why not pull from them you know and make yeah. it fun and make it make sense and and it doesn't it's fun yes. that's that's the well, point and that's and that's one of the biggest things i think about my personal uh enjoyment of any of these depictions mm-hmm. is based on how much it is willing to take the piss out of the idea of Shakespeare because something like anonymous or all is true are so serious about it and yeah. you can't be that serious about something you know nothing yeah, about exactly and it's really hard to really enjoy those films whereas yeah Shakespeare in love is what if Shakespeare experienced a Shakespeare play in his life? Yes. And you're like, oh, well, that, that, that just makes, makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. Even if it, it doesn't fit logically, it yeah. works. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's that's kind of a, a, a I was going to say a redeeming quality to some of the works versus others, but I think it's it's more just indicative of the way that you can lean into that trope of saying Shakespeare's life matched I, his plays. I will say that it is a redeeming quality because I think <laughs> in the list that we're going to talk about, the best 
ones are the ones that take the elements from the plays to fill in and shade and color the things we don't know about Shakespeare's life. Yeah. Upstart Crow does it. Yeah. Um, Shakespeare in Love does it. The ones where they try to be super historically, um, I want to say accurate, but that's not the word. Where they're they're trying to to make it, make re- it real. Yeah. 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 Um, fall so far short because when, like you said, when you're trying to be so serious about something, you have no idea whether it's true or not. It's, um, it just doesn't make for an interesting story. Well, because even if it is an interesting story, it, you know, we're going to get into it when we talk about anonymous. Cause I have so much <laughs> to say about that's the one film. Top of mind for us. Cause <laughs> yes. we've watched it recently, yeah. but, but I wanted to start with, uh, let's, let's start with some of the TV representations because yeah. they're quick and easy um and let's start with the one we've never watched uh, but we we've watched we watched like i think the first two seasons of black adder the first no two we went we watched everything but the last one that was set in in world war one we didn't are watch you sure that. i'm pretty sure we didn't watch okay that well in any case there's a black adder episode yes. with uh they go back in time uh black adder does to uh shakespeare and I think, I think no, no, no. Steal- I think it was a it was the Millennium Special. Oh, there was yes. a Millennium Special, a special where, where Blackadder right. goes back in time to kill Shakespeare yeah. as a punishment for all of the yes. pain that's been that's inflicted right. on yep. school children for the last four hundred for the last four hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, um, decides not to kill him. But leaves his ballpoint pen behind. And then when he when Blackadder comes back to the future. Um, he realizes that Shakespeare has been credited with inventing the ballpoint ball pen. pen. It's it's like <laughs> ridiculous back to the future, literally kind yeah. of grandfather paradoxy kind yeah. of things yeah. that are really uh, funny. Um, but it's that that's that's a, a it's less about um, Shakespeare the Shakespeare person. the person than it is this this situation. Yeah, right. Well, and Shakespeare Which is perfect for exactly. Blackadder. Yeah, exactly, and it works really well for that for that setting. Um, but it's Shakespeare as you know, torture device. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's where the comedy comes from is that he hates him so much because he he's, everybody has to everybody learn has it. to deal with it, which right? is so relatable. Yeah. I mean, most people, yeah. unless you're Do listening not have to this podcast, podcasts about Shakespeare. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, yeah, so I mean, like that that is a great example of taking the piss out of the situation yeah. and yeah. playing with the character in a way where it's but just really there Shakespeare. For the Shakespeare is not the butt of the joke it's always Edmund Blackadder right it's always you know so it's it's an example Mm. of of a good kind of comedy where the the situation kind of um the characters have to react to that situation like the best comedies out there so um I I would say that's definitely worth tracking down and watching which is something we didn't do so yeah so do, don't as, do, what, do as we say, not as we do. Not as we do. Right? Always. Um, <laughs> the next one that, that we did watch, although yes. it has been many years now, uh, is that episode from Doctor Who. Yes. Um, I forget what it's titled. The Shakespeare Code, I believe yes, it's called. Yes, that's right. Um, and it's, it's again, uh, it's a lighthearted romp. It's it, The Doctor takes Martha back in time to see the only performance of Love, Love's Labor's One. Yes. Uh, which is, the famous again, Lost Play. Lost play. Yeah. Um, and shenanigans ensue. And, well, there's aliens who are pretending who yeah, pretend to be witches or something. And, yeah, and then Shakespeare's play is going to set them free by quoting the right lines or something like like that that. and and also it brings in the fact that Shakespeare is uh uh, Martha is the dark lady yes and and Shakespeare's somewhat uh fluidly sexual yeah very mixed passes at both of them yes for sure um which is great yeah and so it plays it plays on those tropes that are so central to um 
to the Shakespearean mythos, Mm -hmm. that there's this lone genius who's writing these words that he's inspired by the things that he sees around him, pulls them into his plays. And a great romantic too, you know, willing to sleep around, you know, probably hit on the aliens too. people off their feet. With his poetic verse. Right. So it it does play into all those tropes. The other thing I loved about the episode is they had a lot of fun with the uh, quotes from Shakespeare. Like the doctor makes a bunch of lines and Shakespeare's like, oh, yeah, it's a great right. line. That's or he's like, mm, it's a bit over much. And then there was, I was reading the, the article earlier today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at one point he quotes Henry V and he's like, uh, the doctor does. Uh, and Shakespeare says, that's a great line. Wait, that is my line. I used that already. <laughs> that's from Henry V. I've already published that one. And he's like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, like that, yeah. that's the level of, of you know, fun. just, yeah, fun and Before Doctor Who that got a little bit big for its britches i think those early yeah, you couldn't seasons, do that i don't no. see jody the or... doctor doing yeah. it. it's going somewhere and having that amount of fun um which is kind of sad but yeah we're not it's that's, again, that's, not a that's doctor who podcast. russell t davis you know the, those are the russell yeah. t davies sorry the the yeah. early seasons those early when seasons they came were, back or... yeah they were fun <laughs> anyway the I, other the other film or sorry tv one that i wanted to talk about was uh good omens Oh, yeah, I forgot about also, that. Also, David Tennant yep. uh, appearing in The Globe. But this time as uh, Aziraphale and Crowley show up. And um, again, it's like this, it's a brief scene. I think it's it's pretty early on in this, in this series. Yeah, because um, it's when they're kind of traveling. Going yeah, through go, time. Yeah, just cutting through time. And, yeah. uh, and having not read the books, I'm not sure how, if it appears in the books or not. But again, same thing. I think they're they're watching a performance of Hamlet. I don't remember. Yeah, let's go with Hamlet. Or I, sure. I can't remember, but it's either Hamlet. way, it's it's one of the big ones. And uh, and um, Aziraphale is very uh, taken with the language, obviously. Yeah. And Crowley is, you know, less less impressed. Yeah. But it's just it's it's always fun to see um, characters that you that are are new characters interacting with old characters. That's why fan fiction is so much fun. <laughs> this really is just licensed fan fiction, right? Well, it's Real unlicensed. Fan you don't need a license to write. Well, no, but Good Omens movies. is okay, sure. <laughs> but it's it's been endorsed by the powers on on yes, high Amazon from, who created the sure, series absolutely. Whatever. Yeah. No, you're right though. Yeah. Villain, I have done thy mother. And then uh, the last TV series, I think, requires little introduction because yes. we've talked about it many times. Upstart Crow. Hopefully you've watched it many times as yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, the David Mitchell vehicle, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I described it as, it's basically a, a modern day sitcom and yes. they just, they change fuck to fuddicking and stuff like yes. that. Like that's basically he's commenting on modern day issues. I mean, his, his thing about the stagecoach breaking down <laughs> where it's obviously like London rail or something like that, you know, or yeah, Southern rail or whatever, whatever it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. where it breaks down all the time and everyone's upset and they just, you know, but he has the only way he can get up to Stratford yeah, on Avon yeah. once every two years yeah, or whatever it yeah. is. And it's, and it's like, this is a show about the modern world and that's what makes it work is that again it's not about Shakespeare as a a serious historical character it's Shakespeare and everything you learn about Shakespeare in school and the plays you might have to read in school then you can take to your BBC3 or ITV4 I don't even know which uh, network actually does over there but but yeah like you can you don't need a a crazy level of education or understanding of the plays in order to get oh this is one of the cross-dressing plays and he's having fun with that yeah and and yeah, every every episode is structured the same where he comes across some aspect of 
a play uh, in the real world in yeah. his and then he's inspired world. to write about it or yes. or whatever. Yes, and uh, and it's pretty brilliant in the in the same way that Shakespeare in Love is brilliant in that it it. It does it backwards, maybe a little bit. Yeah, that, that it it's Shakespeare going through life, like you said, as if, yeah. as if his life were a sitcom, um, and finding these little nuggets and then pulling them to a story. Um, so again, it's using the plays to color the life of Shakespeare in ways that we would never have access to, just simply because we don't know. Yeah. Um, but the the opportunity to comment on modern issues is something that I mean we just watched their pandemic uh, yes. Christmas episode yes. where it's the I forget it was like the sixteenth wave yeah. has rocked London and Shakespeare and his um, the woman that he Kate yes Kate yes, yes. Uh, are are in lockdown together quarantined and. And the, the rat lickers the out there, yeah. not the anti-maskers, but they don't call them that. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, or the anti-beakers or whatever they were. because they didn't Plague maskies, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I can't yeah. remember. Oh, I wish I, I we should have refreshed our memory. <laughs> but it's so brilliant because it, it takes something that uh, I thought, you may remember early on in the pandemic when everybody was like, hey, during that pandemic in 16-whatever, Shakespeare wrote King Lear. What are you doing with your time? And it takes that and puts it on its head because yeah. this is what Shakespeare was doing with his time, bitching about having to go to the market where nobody was social distancing. And, the, and Yeah, the whole episode <laughs> is him trying to write out his big speech for, I don't remember which, it wasn't Lear, it was another one he was yeah. writing, but he's, he's got to do his big soliloquy. And then basically Kate feeds it to him gradually over the course of the episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with her long-winded speeches about things and and he's just like oh i can't do any writing you know like he's he's just like the rest of us in quarantine like completely unable and then looking out the window and acting like a karen yelling at the people who are walking their dogs when they shouldn't be and you know it's 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 funny and and david mitchell does a really good job of of, yeah um, playing uh well he's playing himself yeah exactly (laughs) if you know david mitchell um but but he's the bard too, and it's great. Yeah. It's really worthwhile that that whole series. It's not a long series. I think they only did two or three seasons. I think three series and, and two and Christmas specials. Maybe three Christmas specials and two series. Yeah. But yeah, it's and then it transitioned to the stage. There was a stage play that yes. was cut off or cut short because of COVID. Of so um, hopefully that will come back, or they'll do another series. Yeah, and the the show is also great for poking fun at the the archaic language. Like they, yes. like he constantly makes fun of. Uh, his own style like well I moved the words around a bit that's one of my best yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, and then yeah the character himself is also uh, interesting because yeah he's David Mitchell so he's Mm -hmm. just he's upset um, at everything (laughs) and he's gonna let everybody know about it but he's also a coward and and he's never gonna actually take too much direct action and you have Kit Marlowe's like a a gallivanting spy who works for the queen and and all these things Kate is wanting to be an An actress yeah but she can't she's a woman and And then she does his his (laughs) daughter I I mean his wife is is portrayed I can't remember the name of the actress but uh, wonderfully uh, rich robust character and then their daughter Susanna is like this illiterate you know typical teenager you know it's um, it's fun it is it is a fun silly but delightful program and it, yeah. and it does it completely if, if does you're not a shakespeare, shakespeare fan yes if you don't, don't you take him seriously yes you do you I, I i really wonder no i think even if you do it's fun to take the piss <laughs> yeah because it really does absolutely um but but knowing knowing the little bits and details about the plays about elizabeth in london about whatever we know about shakespeare 
pulling that together when you see his father being this drunken buffoon and yeah. you're like, yeah, you know what? That's exactly what John Shakespeare would have been yeah, like. Totally. Right. Um, it, it really does ground Shakespeare in a way that um, the bardolaters of previous generations yeah. would not have appreciated. Yeah. For I must tell you friendly in your ear. Sell when you can. You are not for all markets. Speaking of things that the Bardolaters wouldn't appreciate, <laughs> um, I think it's time to talk about Roland Emmerich's uh, 2011 offering uh, Anonymous. Well, um, well, where to start with that one, Linz? <laughs> we haven't talked about the authorship question much yeah. on this on this podcast. I th- I don't think it's any secret that Aiden and I are both. I guess Stratfordian. Straightforward Stratfordian. <laughs> the man from say. Shakespeare wrote the plays attributed to Shakespeare. I don't think the man there's... from Shakespeare, Lindsay. Did I say the man from Shakespeare? Yes, but which also works because his dad was Shakespeare. So <laughs> <laughs> the so, man yes. from Stratford was. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, the one who wrote the plays attributed to Shakespeare. Yes, and Anonymous's whole raison d'etre is that that was not the case. And yes. it was, act, in fact, Edward de Vere, uh, the Earl of, Earl of Oxford. Oxford, who did all the writing and also uh, had sex with his mom. And who was Queen child. Elizabeth? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, movie, <laughs> the movie itself is... You know, Roland Emmerich does disaster movies. This is a disaster movie of a whole different caliber. I mean, it's beautifully yeah. filmed. I will give it yeah, that. He, and he nailed some the cinematography. of the some of the acting is is fine, passable. Yep. But the story itself is so patently ridiculous. I mean, they and it they just claim so to far be. And... When you when you have a story where there's so little factual basis to it, you should try and get the factual basis right for all the other things, and they can't even do that. Yeah. You know, having um, the orders of the plays that the plays were published way, way out of whack. Um, like Romeo and Juliet came out in in the sixteen hundred, like fifteen ninety eight. Yeah. It's yeah, like no, it, it had been pub- published and presented so like many five times years earlier. earlier. And like it's um, having the idea that that. Without getting too much into the authorship question, the idea that Edward de Vere, um, who died in 1604 or something like that, could write a play that, um, or write several plays that reference, you know, political events, political that events happened that happened during that. the reign of James the <laughs> First, it it doesn't make sense. And yet, this film leans so hard into that because, well, I mean preview of the authorship question episode we're going to do why do anti-stratfordians want to believe so badly that shakespeare didn't write shakespeare one of the answers for this one at least is that you know you needed that highfalutin classical education uh that shakespeare didn't have i mean he did have some of it but not to the level of a noble right so therefore you know he couldn't have how done could it. he have written about the law if he wasn't a lawyer yeah. and and it just bothers me and on a fundamental level someone who's just written a, a political military thriller who's never oh i did fire a gun i fired a nine millimeter once that's right but i'm not i'm not exactly a a real military guy you it's a thing called research yeah and now i will say it's a little (laughs) bit hard to do research when you don't have the internet or you know libraries the way that we have if you needed to ask a legal question you could go ask your lawyer friend like it's it's it is patently ridiculous to think that Someone living in London wouldn't understand court life. Right. Like, there's courtiers literally everywhere in well, London. And, and and Shakespeare, by all accounts, was a social climber. We yeah. know that because he bought his his title. He he was a gentleman. Um, the, so the king's men. I mean, he was yeah. a player and an owner in the king's men. I yeah. mean, he's literally connected to royalty. It's not a hard stretch yeah. to imagine this guy 
understood court and understood all the other aspects and could talk to sailors and could talk to all these other people who had knowledge that he didn't have. And he gets things wrong so often, like Padua having a port. And there's so many, there's so many problems with Shakespeare not being an expert yes. in everything that it it's very easy to to connect. Having said that, having said all that, so the having bashed the movie, Shakespeare in the movie Anonymous yes. is delightful. He is great, um, but he's he's portrayed in the way that that anti Stratfordians want to picture Shakespeare, the yeah. man that we call Shakespeare, the the patsy who was set up to yeah. ferry the the, the genius, genius of, of Devere, yeah, yeah, or Bacon or whoever, whoever else it, it was, yeah. Queen Elizabeth, whoever <laughs> their their chosen yeah. entity is. Um, so he's uh, describe him, Aiden. How would you describe Shakespeare in Roland Emmerich's? Uh, he's a big dum dum. Uh, I think is a good summary. Uh, he's he can't write. He's literally he can read, but he can't write, which is like crazy to think that you've never held a pen, but you've been. He's very easily. Yeah. He reads a lot. It's it makes zero sense. Um, but he's yeah. He's just a, a lumbering buffoon who's an actor, mm-hmm. uh, which was well documented. Yeah. Uh, very full of himself. Yeah. He takes. He has no qualms, like no moral compass whatsoever. whatsoever. No. No ethics. No. Has no problem taking money from Devere for this. Whereas Ben Johnson is portrayed as having a little bit more of a creative soul and 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 needing his words to be his words and not somebody else's. Um, but he takes credit, like the the one scene where he comes tumbling out from backstage to like accept the praise of the yes. adoring masses is just brilliant because, and then he crowd surfs, which is hilariously anachronistic. But um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it it's he's sexual, he's crass, he's not very well spoken. Yeah, he kills Kit Marlowe six years or something after, after Marlowe Marlo had already. actually died in in reality. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's but but in spite of all of that, he's a fun character. It's actually I have no problem reconciling that character with someone who's also a writer. Yeah, being a writer myself, having been married to a writer for the last twelve years. Um, knowing many writers, I have caroused and drank with many writers in the course of my my years. That's what writers are like. <laughs> yeah. Like I, just I think like regular people. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's where the bardolatry gets it wrong. That, yes, that you exactly. do not need to be this exalted genius, this tortured Edward de Vere who's in this loveless marriage yes. and and has this gift. He's writing Midsummer Night's Dream at the age of nine. Yeah. He's just but he's tortured by it because he was raised in a puritanical household and blah 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 blah. That bullshit doesn't fly. No. It stinks. It's just it's it's a false narrative about genius and creativity. Yes. Um, um, and we'll we'll link to the Browse Held High episode on this one. This yes. is actually the one that that I referenced earlier because uh, he just does a great takedown of how inane. Yes, and just frankly uh, illogical the entire premise of the movie is, yeah. as well as uh, you know how well it's not really put together. Like mm-hmm. there are just so many plot. Like as a film, even if you believe uh, that Devere was the author of the Shakespearean plays, this is not a good movie for trying to tie yeah, it all advancing together. Advancing your cause. <laughs> well, I mean, not even that, but just like not an enjoyable movie even no. on that because like the the plot is so confusing. There's no main character. Uh, the, I think Johnson is supposed to be a main I, character. Yeah, but it's really not clear. And so is Devere. Yeah, it, it's just a bizarre, bizarrely made film. Um, it's and you not spoiled enjoyable. the incest ending, but... 
Well, you know? I, that's probably the best part of the movie is when I turned it because she had seen it before. I, I, so he's asking, he's like, I'm like, it's get, it gets so much worse. He's like, how could it get worse? And when the scene happened, you turned to me and you're like, you're fucking I'm kidding, kidding me. me. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your exact words. Because it is, it is over the head bad. Um, over like the it's, head? it's hitting you over the head oh, with how bad okay. it is. That's, that's where my, that metaphor was eventually. This made. is what writers do. We make up whole new metaphors and <laughs> aphorisms. <Stupid> phrases, yeah. <laughs> Snaps like butter. You bet it does. And quickly before we move on, Lindsay, uh, one thing that was kind of interesting in Anonymous is that it does not fall in the trope of uh, the author of Shakespeare's plays required experiencing all the things in order to uh, write them. So he didn't have to have a crash ship in order to write Twelfth Night. He didn't have to do any of these things. Edward de Vere's genius just allowed him to create it. Right. Um, which is, again, kind of playing into something that the anti-Stratfordians take for granted. They think, oh, well, maybe if Shakespeare had, you know, sailed the seas and traveled to Italy, then it would make sense that he could write Romeo and Juliet and, and all these other Italian plays. Right. Um, whereas De Vere doesn't need to do all that stuff. He can just do it from his brain. Yeah, he can he's create. Rich, Aiden. Well, he's, he's rich he's very and well-educated, wealthy. and therefore his imagination can actually do things as opposed well, to poor and, people, and, and, no art good. And... <laughs> <laughs> to borrow from yeah. Brow's health high. Yeah. Um, there's also the whole undercurrent of of if only the monarchy had had been sustained and this glorious Tudor dynasty had continued. Oh, that one, that was such a stretch because well, it's I think so I think there is something um, that that anti-Stratfordians want to kind of return to the glory days of. Nobles. Something, yeah. yeah. Nobles having people knowing their place. Yeah, they voted for Brexit. I'm just saying, <laughs> anti-Stratfordians voted for Brexit. There, I just—it's uh, out there. You've lost half our listenership just today, Lindsay, <laughs> oh, just I by bashing not. it so hard. We only have two. I know, <laughs> and you're one of them. I know. <laughs> so who's the other one? Never mind. Methinks thou art a general offense, and every man should beat thee. I think thou was created for men to breathe themselves upon thee. Moving on. Uh, to a film that, as Lindsay has said in the past, is uh, maybe the antithesis of Anonymous in the fact that it, <laughs> it is by Bardolatry 101. Yeah. Uh, it takes itself very seriously, and that is All is True uh, from 2019. Yeah, um, and it's it's handled very lovingly, I think, because mm-hmm. Ken Branagh has been, um, for most of his career, yeah. has been very invested in in Shakespeare as a... Uh, playwright as, yeah. as a as a source for material as it's his whole life i think he he even said that this role was the one that he's wanted to play more than anything was to play shakespeare yeah. um so it takes place in i think 1613 or 1614 after shakespeare's retired from the theater he's gone back home to stratford and and is now reconciling with his family and tending his garden and mm-hmm. it's like what well, what would shakespeare in retirement look like what yeah. would that be like yeah. so again it's it's it borrows a little bit from what is known of his time in Stratford-upon-Avon um, in those last years of his life. Yeah, there was a lawsuit involving one of his daughters. Another yeah, one of his daughters and, married, finally, after a long time. Yeah, and, and some issues with property and and, um, and also things that are just speculative, like, you know, uh, teaching well, yeah. his, his daughter and his wife to read, yeah. you know. And we have we have this, our whole episode, we did. Yeah record one just exactly. Lord of this so you can go back and listen to that for our overall sense of the the play but it is or the movie story uh but it is interesting that it's um 
it, it it also attributes similar to anonymous uh, pure genius to his yes. to his ability to craft these things. Yeah. In fact, that one terrible scene of the guy who comes up and is like, "How did you do it?" He's just mm-hmm. like, "You just be a genius," basically. Yeah, is kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. Um. So it it's it doesn't fall in the trap of everything in the plays connected to his life, um, the way Upstart Crow might or Shakespeare in Love, but it's still. Uh, it replaces that with just this idea of pure and genius. Yeah, like a muse that comes to mm-hmm. you and then feeds you the things that you need to say, which is a trope, absolutely. Is it the best one? Probably not. It's yeah. one that I kind of bristle against as well, too, just because I know how hard it is to write something and it doesn't come easily. And and it's um, it's not something that, that, at least in my experience... You sound like Larry David. Do I? Yeah, he hated writing. Did you ever see his acceptance speech at the, I think it was the SAGs or Writers Guild of America or something like that? He talked about how he hated writing Seinfeld. Really? Yeah. That show's about nothing. (laughs) I know. And he had the hardest time writing it because it was about nothing. Uh, And Jerry Seinfeld always said, yeah, writing was great. I never had a problem. The two of them are just, they're they're the writing duo we should all aim for. That's all I'm saying. But I mean, it it does, the genius argument boils boils writing down to something that you either have or you don't have and yeah. I don't think that that's true I think you can work hard at it Aiden you turn writing into a, a job almost like you are very rigid about your writing time he will leave he'll say I'm writing I'm gonna write for an hour or you're gonna write 500 words or you're gonna write two pages and then you do and then you're done and then you put it away and whereas for me it's like I don't know, I go six you months go, where yep. I don't write. And, and then, then you write for six weeks straight and I don't see you. And it's basically, it's, yeah, it just, it, it's, but it's not, it, it maybe, maybe I'm the wrong person to talk about because <laughs> it does seem like I'm hit by a bolt of lightning. Yeah, no, and you I, are. I mean, but it doesn't feel like that. It still feels like you're, you're oh, wringing water from a stone and yeah. it's, it's, um, so I, I, I guess that's, that's something that I, I find a little bit unforgivable about the bardolatry, um, aspect of this story is mm-hmm. just that it it does seem to put more emphasis on um that have it or, or not yeah and, aspect and and just as a character in that film he's a very kind of dour shakespeare there's the again it, it well, he's it, old sure but i mean like he's only 50 or something like that he's not like ancient or decrepit or anything no but like he's that. two years away from death so i think that colors okay. the play a little fair bit. enough i mean people die sunset pretty quick. years died pretty quick back then i don't think it's like he knew death was on the well he probably did actually (laughs) he he died he got drunk one night and then never recovered apparently he was out drinking carousing Mm. as writers do with his buddies and then he died and that's the thing though that the the movie lacked the carousing there was there was the one scene with uh the earl of southampton showing up and played by ian mckellen which is great that was good it was so good and like he's deeply in love with this man still and uh and but you just get like it's a very morose take They're just on this. Sitting by the fire and talking as old men might yeah. do, I suppose that's yeah. The thing. And I, I I don't know. I, I find that one uh, disappointing because mm. I think Kenneth Branagh is you know he obviously has devoted a huge portion of his life and time to thinking about Shakespeare, and to arrive at that version of Shakespeare is kind of disappointing. But I think it's fitting. It's what it's what Kenneth Branagh has been aiming for his whole life is to I, is to elevate the man from his. The dirt, yes, okay, he digs in the ground, he's hoeing his garden, sure, he's planting earth, he's dealing with all this stuff, he's not planting earth, that's ridiculous, (laughs) he's planting things in the earth, Um, but he's risen above the muck of his his origin story, and, and... 
and now he's coming back to die basically yeah. i mean it's 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 <laughs> mythologizing shakespeare still absolutely yeah and and that is very much what kenneth Branagh does i know but I just wish there was some humor into it. I, I just that's well, that's the honest, and maybe there yeah. was more there, laughs than I, I remember. Think we, but, we should rewatch it, and I do remember laughing a few times. Yeah, but I mean, like, but it certainly was more well researched, at least in in yes. accordance with what we know of Shakespeare's it, life. It is like the closest I think we will ever be able to have to a, 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 a really done biopic because, uh, yeah, there's just not much more to learn unless someone finds Shakespeare's diary. You know, buried in a closet in England somewhere. Can you imagine? Tear diary. <laughs> uh, Anne was so mean to me today. I can't believe I gave her three kids. I hate her. <laughs> Smi- frowny so, face. Yeah. <laughs> the emoji. If he invented the emoji, that would be the end of it. I mean, LOL, gotta wins. go. Yeah. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. Something not quite as uh, LOL as that uh, Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, I think, I think this is our last one. This is the last one. Save the best for last. Julie. Absolutely. Um, it's it's just it is. I mean, it's it's it was a phenomenon. It uh, won the Academy Awards. Don't know if it deserved to win the Academy Award for Best Picture that year. What was it up against again? Uh, it wasn't Titanic? Was it? No. I don't remember. So it was up against Elizabeth. Life is beautiful. Saving Private Ryan. That's right. That was the one that should have won. Yes. Yeah. So um, I was going to say Saving Private Ryan. I'm like, no, didn't Saving Private Ryan win? But it didn't. It didn't. Shakespeare and Love won. won and I think that was a little bit bullshit too. But yeah, um, <laughs> it's, you know, but okay. What did it have going for it? So much. It it's has a wonderful cast. Not entirely cast. convinced Gwyneth Paltrow is the this best is, uh, pick, but this was her the height of her fame. Ab- well, and the really? height of her talents probably too. I mean, like after this, she became you know the goop salesman, and yeah. <laughs> acting just became kind of a side gig, and she was yeah. doing Iron Man movies and stuff like that. Like it's it's her role, I think, is actually pretty solid. I think she's a great uh, Juliet Stanton. I can't remember yeah. her character's name. Viola. Now. It is Viola, of yeah. course. Um, and Joseph Fiennes, Joseph Fiennes as Shakespeare. Judy Dench. Judy Dench as Elizabeth. Perfect. Uh, what's his name? The guy who's, uh, he starts off the movie getting his toes burnt. Is it Jeffrey Rush? Yes, it is. Je- yeah. no, is it Jeffrey Rush? Well, Jeffrey Rush is in it. Yes, Maybe Jeffrey he's Rush. the one doing the burning. I don't yeah, know I think it is actually, yeah. Jeffrey and the Rush other guy, yeah. So, I mean, like, amazing. I think Ben cast. Affleck is in it too, isn't he? Ben Affleck as uh, the actor dude. Burbage? Burbage. Yeah. He's Burbage, the great actor of his yes, time. And it's it, it's funny. He makes so much fun. It's of him. but it, okay, so yes, the the acting is very well done. The this was around the time that the Globe Theater had just reopened in London. Mm-hmm. I think that opened in ninety six or ninety seven, right? Yeah. So this is, came out in ninety eight or ninety nine. Um they used so the Globe and yeah. It, did they? I thought they filmed on it. Okay, we should have looked that up. We should have looked that up. <laughs> we'll if they did the they notes, did yeah. they did a really good job of, of showing that. Yeah. Um uh, it has that that really fantastic element of turning Shakespeare's life into a Shakespearean yeah. play, which I think is the the stroke of genius that makes it work. Uh, absolutely work. Yeah. And um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name of the guy who wrote it. Tom Stoppard yes, was was the writer yes. of it. So that also, I mean, for him having written Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, yeah, he's, he's kind of like a. a a lesser known Kenneth Branagh in a way that he's he's yeah. very devoted to Shakespeare exactly. as well. And so so knowing that he wrote it I think brings a, a, a much more literary element to the story. Um, 
but also makes it a much more fun and somewhat more believable yeah. way. In a it's, way, it's you know, more believable. But again, it plays into all of those tropes that these things had to have happened to Shakespeare in order for him to have written it. Um, without taking it too seriously, it allows for that to kind of blossom yeah in a fun a much more fun way than all is true or um anonymous it it feels much more like i think we said this earlier in the episode like upstart crow yeah right where it plays with those ideas but just in a very melodramatic romeo and juliet kind of way because his love for viola is thwarted by her marriage to um colin firth yes colin firth was in it too yeah who goes off to virginia to uh, which yeah, was wouldn't have happened. Col- yeah. It wasn't even a colony, yeah. I don't think, at that time. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't matter because this is the, the heart of the story. Shakespeare had to have had this broken love affair with yeah. a beautiful woman. To write the greatest woman, love story of all time. time right? Exactly. Yeah, and that and that's yeah. it's what makes it work. It's what makes the, um, the film's conceit and characters and the fact that they're all on the same page of having fun with yeah. this conceit is what makes, yeah, everything tied together well. And so I, another confession, I did not like this movie when I first saw it. Yeah, and for many, I... many years, you were like, oh, it's so good. And you had a VHS copy yep. when we first started dating. And yep. you were like, we should watch it. And I was like, do we have to? Because I really thought it was dumb. Yeah. Um, but... Well, you thought that it was real, so. Well, initially, and then I think when I when I found out it wasn't real, I felt betrayed by yeah, it. I yeah. was like, well, how dare they not tell me the true story of William Shakespeare's life and times? Mm, poor Lindsay. But um, I remember thinking that there were there were things in the in the movie that at the time I thought were so dumb, like like having Joseph Fiennes as Shakespeare wasting paper first of all. How expensive would that have been? Oh, yeah. Right? Crazy. So he's scribbling on paper yeah. and he's he's writing things down and then he's crumpling them up and he throws them in the garbage, which again plays into that tortured genius yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but isn't there a scene where it lands next to a skull on a bookcase? Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, oh my God. And the Stratford upon Avon any- mug. Like- yes. <laughs> Like, could there this is, be any yeah. dumber? But it works. As I've gotten older, I realize that that is what makes it so much more fun and, and, and it memorable. Is, yeah, and it's littered with those things that, again, you, again, most of it's going to be like Upstart Crow, stuff that you learned in high school, like mm-hmm. Alas, Poor York, The Skull, you know, yeah. like you have that maybe in your head. You might have, you might catch the Stratford-upon-Avon mug, but there's there's a kind of a, a depth to the references. The and to, Exactly, yeah. yeah, they are. They're Easter eggs within this this film, and yeah. it's, it's really brilliant that way. Yeah. Um, and I think something we mentioned in our Industry of Shakespeare uh, episode was that this is the highest grossing Shakespeare movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than any of his own plays, Shakespeare in Love <laughs> is the most successful one um, because it does that, because it offers you Shakespeare. It offers new Shakespeare. And that that's something that mm. I think kind of goes unappreciated is that, like, you got a new Shakespeare play. I mean, yes, it was mostly Twelfth Night and Romeo and Juliet, but you got a new Shakespeare play, yeah. and Shakespeare was the main character. Yeah. And that's just cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. And it comes, like you said, in the 90s when there was this resurgence in Shakespearean scholarship and interest and all the films were coming out. Um, it does have a pretty great cast. It won the Academy Award for reasons that, I mean... Well, we just talked about them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's... Uh, it's held up, I think. Yeah, I mean, we haven't watched it in a couple of years. It's probably been six or seven years since yeah, we watched the last. It's but, been a while. But yeah, I remember every time I watch it, I enjoy the heck out of it. It's mm-hmm. Some of it's silly, and there's like, there's some pretty sexist stuff, but I mean, you knew that 
going into the Elizabethan time frame anyways, yeah. right? So it, it it's nothing too earth-shattering, and, and for the most part, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's, it's definitely, definitely worth a rewatch, yeah. I think. If music be the food of love, play on. So... So kind of a side conversation I wanted to have with you, Aiden, about yes. uh, before we get to our ancient bickerings. Um, you're a writer. I am. I don't know if you knew that. If you didn't, you know now. You're looking at me, but you're talking to the listener, right? Because <laughs> I, I did no, know. No, I'm talking to you, Aiden. I was aware I was trying to of be where funny. I've been spending all those hours all these days. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Lindsay, you're it, also a writer. It, Sorry, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I didn't you. No, offer no. that introduction for you. <laughs> Sorry, kind of dropped the ball. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I am. And uh, I think, as we mentioned earlier on, it's kind of, we hold ourselves to the standard of Shakespeare, I think, in some way, even though I admitted a couple episodes ago that I don't necessarily do that. Um, I think instinctively, we all kind of do, right? Mm -hmm. But even deeper than that, I think there's a desire to talk to Shakespeare, to interact with Shakespeare in some way. And even if you're just a casual reader of Shakespeare, you probably have questions for him or or things that you would want to talk to him about. And just totally off-the-wall question, mm-hmm. as a writer, if you were to write Shakespeare into one of your stories, your current work in progress or another story that, that you're thinking of, um, how would you do that? How would you fictionalize Shakespeare in your own writing? I, I have an answer for that one, Lindsay. Really? I've told you about it many times. And have I'm you? kind of hurt that you've asked. I've had a long story, long standing story in my head of Shakespeare. Arri- I wake up in the morning. Yes. I've told you this. Now you remember. I wake up in the morning. I get out of bed. I go into the living room and Shakespeare's standing there. And he's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? And I'm like, holy shit, it's Shakespeare. And then I have to explain 400 years of history to Shakespeare. Uh, and then I walk him around and I show him our modern world and I show him all the ways he's interacted. And I take him to our local Shakespeare festival and he sees his own play performed. And that's kind of like the thing. I've got I've got a uh, kind of rough story around it where uh, you and I are, well, the me character yeah. uh, and his significant other have divorced recently and uh, they're going through an acrimonious uh, breakup. But, you know, she gets it, too. She's like, holy shit, this is Shakespeare. So, like, they kind of wind up reconciling over the course of this thing through the bond of, of Shakespeare. So that's that's the, I think it's more of a screenplay probably in my <laughs> head. Uh, there's a there's an explanation montage where he's like, OK, so here's where England is and here's the colonial empire. And he has to explain all that. Like, the, I've got like a whole Rocky that's thing so cool. going. So that's how I want to do Shakespeare one day. Uh, I might get around to writing it one day. I don't know. We'll, we'll you know, see. if you and I were better writing partners, we are uh, terrible yeah. writing partners. We're but you a very good married couple. But just I hope you're couple. not going to divorce me. And no, no. When Shakespeare shows up in our living room, no, he'll bring us back together. Did you not listen to the play, Lindsay? <laughs> Come on. And you're an amazing editor, but we do not write well. No, together. we don't. We don't. No. I don't think that would be a very good. But I would love to work on this with you. Yeah, I, well, I, I'm I, just saying. It's... Once I got a draft, you, you can see it. I guess. Okay. Uh, what about you? What if? <laughs> do you have any <laughs> idea of how to? I have no idea. I just really? wanted to hear from you. Oh. <laughs> I can't. Like I just. I don't know. I think because my, I I I would tend. We didn't talk any about like uh, the literary, the books that Shakespeare is featured in. Yes, yeah. Um, but I am on the record as being a huge Jasper Ford fan. Yeah. And I think that those stories, you know, Tuesday Next and the Literary detection, Detective Agency and and all that stuff is 
is so much fun. And I think that's the kind of thing that I would want to do. But it's already been done. So I don't want to, you know, now I've said it, I'm on the record again as saying that. But I think that would be, or I, you know, I love fan fiction. Yeah. And I think that probably would also play a role in how I would want to. Well, I mean, it's all fan fiction. I mean, it really is. All of this is fan fiction. That's true, right? It's it's real person fanfic. Yeah. Um, they call it historical fiction, I guess. Yeah, but you but know, it's it's, it's reimagined. It is. Yeah. It really is. So I, I guess that would be. I mean, the current my current work in progress is a Star Trek fan fiction, so I, I'm not really sure how Shakespeare would. Well, he already does. He shows up in the holodeck. Data is learning Henry V in order to okay, understand so yes, the human so condition. If, if you know, Data has a conversation with Shakespeare. That would well, he has that that game of uh, poker with Albert Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and Isaac Newton. He right? could do it with literary figures instead. Yeah, you bring in you know Shakespeare and. Uh, there's nobody else who's quite up to that. Prue, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Like, there's not really Shakespeare. Three Shakespeare's, young Shakespeare, really Shakespeare, dying Shakespeare. I don't know. But yeah, you could you could have that one too. Working into your story, Lindsay. I want to. I want to. It doesn't it fit. It doesn't fit. It's during the Dominion War, Aiden. How yeah, are you okay. gonna? You can't time. just have data gallivanting off on the holodeck with Shakespeare when you're fighting Cardassians. It's a fair point. And the Jem Hadar come in, and it's just ni- it's a nightmare scenario, Aiden. Mm, that's no good. It's no good. <laughs> if I longer stay, we shall begin our ancient bickerings. This is a great segue into our um, ancient our, our ancient bickerings. Week, yeah. uh, you know, talking about having a poker game. Yeah. With three different Shakespeare's. Of all of the depictions of Shakespeare that we have watched, that we've seen, that we've observed, that we've experienced. Yeah. Which one would you most like to have a beer with? And I know you're a teetotaler, yeah. so it could be I'd tea have a Coke. or a Coke. Yeah, I guess I'd have to have a tea with them. But they wouldn't have tea back then either because they wouldn't have, you know, colonized yet. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. You no, know, Lindsay, I went first last time. Yeah. You go first. Who who do you want to have a beer with? 1,000% Roland Emmerich's version of Really? Yeah. He is just, I think, being, <laughs> this is going to sound so horrible. Please forgive me. Do not take away my feminist card for this. <laughs> Being sexually harassed by that man would be so funny. He's just so horrible. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? Yes, you can you can uh, slap my ass. You can whatever because you're Shakespeare. You're a terrible, terrible person and, and, and so much fun. I just getting drunk in a bar with him. Yeah, I could see it for sure. Um, but you're wrong. Actually, of course, the only reliable choice is David Mitchell's uh, upstart crow Shakespeare, because that's the Shakespeare who I want to hang out with. He's the guy who's upset about, you know, they increase the tolls on the, the freeway. Why, and though? Dear God, because he's so ornery and he's so upset about the same things I'm upset about. He's upset about Brexit, damn it. He's, he doesn't want to... I don't remember what the... There is, a, there is a, a Brexit monologue in one of the Upstar Crow episodes, and I'm like, that's amazing. Thank you. Like, why would you want to separate from the, the, the rest of Europe and all this stuff? And it's like... That's the Shakespeare who I'm like, yeah, I agree with you, buddy. Like, let, let's complain about it, and then you can get drunk and all DD you all the way back to Stratford-upon-Avon. <laughs> I don't care, because you're just, you're, you're, a, you're a lovable oaf. You, you want someone who's going to complain all the time? Yeah, but with, like, Shakespeare's wit. And David Mitchell's insight into that 
complaint. That's what that's the best part about David Mitchell. That's what makes up Starcrow work is that he's just complaining about the same things you and I are thinking. He just does it in a David Mitchell way slash Shakespeare way. Uh, and that's awesome. So you just want to hang out with David Mitchell is what I'm hearing. I would buy David Mitchell a drink for sure. David Mitchell, if you're listening to this, <laughs> please message us because my husband clearly has a crush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do too. You're right. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's kind wait, of wait, awesome. Did you say you're right? I know. I yes! No, 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 not about the bickering. Yeah, I win. You don't think you don't think that the well, one def- good thing that Roland Emmerich has given to the world, aside from Independence from Day, the, well, <laughs> a few of the speeches in Independence Day, I suppose, um, is this this brilliant, crass. He is he is enjoyable. He's an enjoyable figure. But yeah, I I think I'd bore of him pretty quick. Yeah, but you just go for a beer with like for for. To, yeah, but then he'd wind up picking the bar fight that I have to fight and lose. Like that's 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 the kind of dude. Yeah, but he I is. wouldn't have to do that because it would be you know, know. Elizabethan yeah, times yeah, and yeah. women aren't going to be fighting. No. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah, maybe probably not. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe it's maybe uh, I should pick a different one then. Because <laughs> he's definitely slipping something in your drink, by the way. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right. I take it back. I take it back. You you might be right. Maybe maybe it is. Maybe it is David Mitchell then as William Shakespeare. Fine. Another victory for the good guys. Take your W. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow. Aiden, are you looking up what's next on our docket? Next up on our docket is Charles and Cresta, oh, as great. we've uh, discussed the last couple times. Aiden, Aiden had written, I'm just going to embarrass you right now, had oh, written a... have mentioned this many times. Oh, have you? Yeah. Oh. Well, I wrote a screenplay gonna, for Charles and Cresta. Yeah. A modern modern interpretation. Well, was it mod? It wasn't really modern. It was still set in ancient oh, Yeah. Greece, okay, yeah. But sorry, but like modern language. Like it's not yes. like... So, and it yeah. came out around the time, well, he, he wrote this around the time that Anchorman came out. And so the character of... <laughs> There was uh, no character. There was nothing like that. Was based on there's Veronica there, Morningstone. Corningstone. Whatever. First of all. And second of all, no, it wasn't. There was just one line about a massive erection. Okay, that and that was in. The, it's in the stage direction. Nobody says massive erection. It's well, just, I remember. There it, it is. I remember it being a, a line, and there I remember was, fighting with you about it, and saying a, this is dumb. There was a really dick joke, and it was very good. It was I hilarious, it was and I good. think I'm going to post the whole thing up there for the world to see now because <laughs> this is ridiculous, and I need absolution. Either way, I have never read Trust Cresta. I'm aware of the story. I think everybody's aware of the story. It's kind of rooted in in a lot of the mythology. I, I'd be interested, actually, like maybe listeners, when we get to that episode, I'd be interested in finding out how many of you know about it. It is a lesser known play, which leads us into our next topical episode yes. which is about the lesser known plays, lesser known plays. Um, following that it's measure for measure measure for measure which is another one I don't think I've ever read no me neither and I I think but I've I'm seen looking, it performed I'm, once I'm, or twice maybe. Maybe, maybe maybe once I don't really remember anything about it so me I'm neither. gonna guess we haven't seen it yeah or I'm losing my memory well or we've just seen like so 70 many of them. Shakespeare productions in our day that we're gonna forget some of but it's it's a later comedy and I'm really looking forward to that one I think um I'm looking forward to them all. Yeah. I say that all the time. Well, you're not looking forward to Shakespeare, Charles and Cresta. I'm, I'm not. That. I'm not yeah. looking forward to Charles and Cresta. But I'm gonna. I'm gonna put in exactly the same amount of effort I put into every one of these episodes, which is to say very little. <laughs> I am going to read the play. That is the effort I'm going to put into. We're this watching episode. the BBC production. No. Oh don't yeah, it. it's bad. Oh my god. The eighties. Can we watch Troy instead? No. None of those characters are in there. Well, okay. But it's Achilles the story. Of 
Troilus from Troy. <laughs> no? Yeah. No, we're going to watch the BBC production. Damn it. Unless there's another one. I don't think there is. I don't think anybody's ever put this play on, ever, in the history of anything. But we'll find out. That's next week on The Big no, Steve Shakespeare. No, it is not next week, two weeks from now. Next episode. The next episode. In a fortnight. I'm doing a fortnight dance. Can you see me doing the fortnight dance? Spelled differently, though. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at TheBixPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheBixPod, or by email at TheBixPod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.